Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. And today, David Wheaton's coming on the show in just a minute. And then I'm really excited because my dentist is coming in, Dr. Kyle Gerhardt. I can hardly wait for that. That's going to be fun. Hour two is going to be Dr. Peter Kapsner and I resuming our study in Exodus. We're going to talk today to Dr. Jarrett Stevens about Gideon. That's the plan. Hope you like it. I want to get back to our discussion that we're having with David. It's been now probably seven or eight months, maybe longer. We're going through the book of Exodus, and our series title is How Epic Exodus Displays the Awesome God. David Wheaton is, of course, a, an amazing, a gifted communicator, and he's also the host of The Christian Worldview. You can learn more about David at thechristianworldview.org. David, welcome back. Hello, Bill. So good to be back with you. Thank you so much. Let's jump into uh, what we talked about last time. I think we were in, let's see... Exodus 31 last time, 27 yeah, to 31. Actually, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, we did. And, and, and we can actually say we covered seven chapters in the last two interviews, which is a lot. And all these chapters chapters have to do with the construction of the, the tabernacle, mm-hmm. which was the central place of worship as the Israelites left Egypt and they're traveling to the promised land. It took them 40 years to get there. Moses is leading them. Well, God had instituted here at Mount Sinai, where they're about to get the law, the Ten Commandments. God had instituted this 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 precursor to the temple, which would be a permanent structure in Jerusalem someday, you know, hundreds of years later that Solomon would build. But that was hundreds of years from now. But in the meantime, there was to be this portable structure, this tabernacle that would be rectangular and shaped and There'd be an altar for for sacrificing animals and uh, and all these different elements and and we went over these chapters the last two times and it's it's really quite amazing how much detail the Bible or God devotes to this particular um, this this tabernacle and as a matter of fact there's so many different elements of it there's the tent of meeting there's this holy place in the most holy of holies where the ark of the covenant was there's the mercy seat on top of it where the blood would be applied one time a year. There was all the furniture of the tent, the tables. I'm, I'm actually reading from Exodus 31, the pure gold lampstand and all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering. There's just the, the garments of the priests, uh, the garments of his sons, you know, how they were able to, how they were supposed to carry the various elements when they travel from place to place, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense. There was lots of different elements. And the Bible spends a lot of time, as we found out in the last two conversations we've had, over seven chapters, actually, uh, on this tabernacle and the various elements. And basically, the emphasis here is that the summary, bottom line is, the emphasis is on the grandeur and the holiness of God and how he is to be approached. The, the, the detail was so in detail, and there's this, this you were to approach God with this great awe and this, this holy reverence for him. And we must be ceremonially clean. Everything had to be consecrated and cleansed with blood. There had to be atonement made, a satisfaction for sin made, a sacrifice made for the sins of the people. And there had to be obedience to every last detail because of this, as we've titled our series, this how epic Exodus displays this awesome God. 
and to approach this awesome God, we just sort of kind of stroll right in and call him the big man upstairs. That that's not that that's a completely unknown mm-hmm. for the for this God. And so this sacrificial system that was started at this point, uh, you know, Leviticus 17 says it is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. In other words, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This is the this is the system that God set up that sin deserves not only a physical death, but eternal death, that it's a just penalty. Sometimes we, we, we don't see that, like, boy, God is really strict on this. Well, he's a holy God. He's the king of the universe. And so our sin is really treason against his rule. And any good king puts down treason very quickly. And how much more for the holy, awesome God? And so, but the, the difference in this holy, awesome king is that this king is not just, you know, punitive, you know, in the moment. He graciously provides a substitute for our sin. Instead of just killing us immediately, he provides a system of a substitute, where in the Old Testament was an animal be sacrificed, blood would be shed, apply to that mercy seat to atone for our sin. And then in the future, it was all pointing toward who would come in the New Testament, but the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That would be Jesus Christ. And so in this tabernacle, Bill, there were daily sacrifices. There was incense given. It was like this sense of there's God in heaven, and he is He is angry over sin, and at the same time, he's smelling, and it's often called this soothing aroma of the incense and the, and the burnt offerings coming up and coming into his nostrils and being reminded that, that atonement is being made for the sins of mankind. Mm. And so this was a very high and holy place and very significant in the Bible. And David, would we be calling that the, pretty much the conclusion to the the tabernacle chapter? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I would say so. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, again, it's just a picture of God is holy. We are sinners and rebels, but God has prescribed a just penalty for sin, which is death. But He's also prescribed that through the blood of a substitute. And that time it was an animal, but that was only they couldn't take away sins forever. But it was pointed toward the one Jesus Christ, who will come to, uh, someday to take away the sins of, of the world. And, and understanding the utter holiness of God is something I think that's been lost today, to be honest, Bill, in modern evangelicalism. You know, we it's a very casual thing, and God is far more holy and far greater than we can even imagine. So we need to have a high and holy view of God, because that affects how we live our lives. Uh, a lot of wisdom there, David. I appreciate you saying that, too. So let's jump into Exodus 32, and let's talk about this uh, this whiplash event that takes place, for lack yeah, of a better way of describing it, to well, talk about that. Yeah, you're right. It is like a whiplash, because we've just gone through seven chapters of all these elements of the tabernacle and the command to be obedient and the, the, the priest's robes and the elements of the tabernacle and the holy of holy place and the mercy seat and the blood and the, and the, the tablets of the, the Ten Commandments and in the ark, and in the, the, the lid of the ark was the mercy seat, and God's presence was above the ark, and it's just this, this incredible picture, and you know the, the people— before this whole instructions for the tabernacle had been given, had said in Exodus 24. So before we got into the chapters of the tabernacle in 25 through 31, in 24, when Moses came and talked to the people and told them about the ordinances of of God, they replied, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Okay, so they're just committing. They've seen the presence of God in this mountain, Mount Sinai, and they're, we want to obey you. So we go through these seven chapters of 
the, the, the tabernacle. And Moses is up on the mountain getting these instructions. And 40 days later, he, he's finished. And, and meanwhile, we flip the page from to, to Exodus chapter 32, and there's this whiplash that takes place. I, I think it's just helpful to read it. After we've gone through the, the holy standard of God with the tabernacle, all of a sudden you turn the page to Exodus chapter 22, and it says this. Now when the people, they're at the base of the mountain, saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, it was 40 days, the people assembled about Aaron, that's Moses' brother, who was kind of their priest at the time, and they said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And then verse 2, Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. He took from this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast day to the Lord. So the next day, last verse here, next day they rose, the people rose early and offered burnt offerings to this golden calf and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Mm. And, and so— mm from all these chapters about God and his holiness and the people's commitment to follow him and being amongst the people and leading them to the promised land, all of a sudden the whiplash happens, the scene changes to the bottom of the mountain where people, the people of Israel, have already corrupted themselves 40 days later. I mean, keep in mind, Bill, they were watching the thundering on the mountain and the smoke descend upon Mount Sinai and God's presence was right there, and yet they strayed so quickly. And it teaches the point that signs and wonders are no hedge against our flesh. You know, mm -hmm. they, they just corrupted themselves. And there's there's this sense of that verse, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You know, what that means that there was a, a, a scene of drunkenness and sexual immorality, a you know, like an orgy, like a debauched situation that that the people of God, as God called it, had corrupted themselves so quickly. And it was just so shocking. Yeah. Uh, what is behind uh, this shocking departure? Well, it, that's a good question. As you go through those various verses, you know, from the the, the first verse where it, where it said in that passage I just read, you know, um, when the, when Moses saw the people, the, the people saw that Moses delayed. They said, "Come, let us make a god who will go before us." As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So you see how they're they're misreading misunderstanding who actually brought them up from Egypt. They're thinking that Moses brought them up mm -hmm. from Egypt. Moses didn't bring them up from Egypt. God brought them up from Egypt, which goes to the point that the most important thing about us is our view of God and whether it's accurate. They had an inaccurate view of who God was. And so that's the driving force behind how we think mm. and live our lives is our view of God. And so they had a, a misrepresentation of God. They thought Moses was the one that was leading them. No, it was God who had led them up. And then it just went on from there. I mean, here, a couple of verses down, you see Aaron, the, the brother of Moses. I mean, like all of a sudden just kind of willingly says, okay, bring your, I mean, there was no, no sense of hesitation here. Mm -hmm. He said, just bring your gold rings and so forth to me. And he melts them in, melts the gold into a calf. I mean, he knows, Aaron knows what he's doing is wrong. He's, he's not being fooled by this. I don't think he was deceived 
But either he feels like there's going to be a riot from the people or maybe his life was in danger. But he introduces this syncretistic worship, which is what all false religions do. He tries to mix this worship of the calf with, well, let's have a feast to the Lord. That, that doesn't work. And so the, the scene is representative of just verse by verse, things are going terribly wrong. Mm. And the only perspective that really matters is God. And David, what is God's perspective on what is taking place? Yeah, well, you, you, the, the scene is down at the bottom of the mountain where this, this debauched orgy is taking place. Mm-hmm. But then it, the, the scene changes to go back up to the top of the mountain. And what, what does God say about what is taking place? And, and this is where God tells Moses, you need to go down to the people. And there's a lot of urgency. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once. They have quickly turned aside from the way in which I commanded them. They have made themselves a, a molten calf. Uh, and he said, I have seen this people and they are an obstinate people. Now then let me alone, God says, that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. And yet I will make of you a great nation. I mean, how interesting. I mean, God is, God is angry. These Israelites have broken the three of the Ten Commandments all at once. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol. And you, you, should not, you should not take the Lord your God's name in vain. They've blasphemed the name of God so quickly, and God is angry. Yeah. I mean, this is not the kind of lovey-dovey God, God just to God of love. He wants to destroy them, and yet in the midst of this, he tells Moses, and I will make of you a great nation. In other words, God's going to start over. He's going to destroy all of them, and he's got an alternate plan to start over with Moses and his family. So God's plan is never thwarted. But Moses is going to have to intercede for the people. Otherwise, God's going to mete out just a a vicious punishment for what they've done. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back with David Wheaton as we continue our study on Exodus. And this series is entitled, How Epic Exodus Displays the Awesome God. Be right back. my guest. We're continuing our study on the book of Exodus. And David, this is so good. Let's just jump back because we don't have tons of time. And every time you're on, I think, boy, this is passing so quickly. We need to have you on longer. That's my first thought. Mm. Uh, But let's get back to Moses. And how did, how did he intercede for the people in this situation? Yeah. I mean, we're only doing one chapter that just kind of shows how important this chapter really is. This is a pivotal chapter in Exodus, uh, just a a chapter that's significant in all of Scripture. But now you would think, Bill, that Moses, when he hears about what's going on down below, that Moses would just say, well, they deserve it, God, let them have it, right? That would be the normal response. I'm sorry they did this, but, you know, they deserve complete and utter punishment. God's a just God. He never punishes anyone that's not in a just way. And so, but he doesn't say that. He says in verse 11 of chapter 32, he says, Moses entreated the Lord. He kind of begged the Lord, uh, his God, and said, Oh, Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? With You brought them out with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the—now listen to what his reasoning here, why he doesn't want them to be you know, eliminated or, or killed. They're judged right away. He says, why should the Egyptians speak, saying— 
with evil intent, God brought them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and, re and change your mind about, about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself, I will multiply your... So he, he's reminding God that, you know, please don't destroy them. The Egyptians are going to say, well, you just brought them out of Egypt so you could destroy them yourself. It's going to be, it's going to look bad for you, God, is basically what he's, what he's saying. He goes to the promises of God. He goes to the, the reputation of God, I guess you could say. And so he intercedes for his people, sinning people, holy God, Moses is in between uh, interceding for them. Well, who does that remind you of, Bill? Reminds you of who would come later, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Sinful mankind, holy God, mm -hmm. Jesus Christ in the middle, being the great intercessor. Not only the great intercessor, but actually the sacrifice between God and man, the only mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So Moses is concerned for God's name, what the Egyptians are going to say. And then this passage ends in verse 14 here. This little section ends by saying the Lord changed his mind <laughs> about the harm, which he said he would do to his people. I mean, did, would Moses talk him out of this or, or, or what? I mean, it's a really, <laughs> it's amazing. You know, yeah. how do you change God's mind? Well, there's a difference here between God's intention, what he was intending to do, and what God decrees. So God can change his minds from his intentions, but he never changes minds on a decree. And that's exactly what takes place here. Moses intercedes for his people, and if maybe he hadn't, God would have gone ahead and destroyed all of them and started anew with Moses and his family. I know theologians have pondered that verse for centuries. Yes. Yep. About the Lord changing his mind. All right, let's move on to uh, to Moses and Joshua. Okay, what happens when they come down from the camp? <laughs> yeah, so, so you just have to imagine this. Imagine the picture here. What's going on this just, you know, fraternity party times 100, spring break times a million going on down down in the base of the mountain. Meanwhile, this holy picture up at the top of the mountain, Moses and his younger kind of assistant Joshua is there with him. And they're walking down from the mountain with, with the Ten Commandments. Moses has holding the Ten Commandments in his hand, uh, which the people have just broken. They've just broken the first three. And then it says in this, this passage that God wrote himself. God, it was the finger of God, which etched into stone on these Ten Commandments. And when, they, when they're coming down, Joshua, the, the younger man, says he hears the sound of the people as they shouted. And he says to Moses, Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp. But Moses said, it's not the sound of, it's not the sound of the cry of triumph or the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing I hear. Mm. In other words, Joshua is younger. He doesn't understand really what's going on. Moses knows exactly what's going on. And they come down there and he, Moses just, <laughs> to get angry would be an understatement. He sees the calf, his anger burned. He throws the tablets down he shatters them at the foot of the mountain. He takes the calf. He burns it with fire. He grinds it to powder. He scatters it over the surface of the water around them, and then he makes the sons of Israel drink it. This, this is a, <laughs> a righteous anger that, that Moses has, not for himself, but for, again, for the name of God. And then he deals with his brother, his brother Aaron, like, what have you done? What did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them. And, and then in the, literally, this may be the lamest excuse in the history of the world. His brother says, well, do not let your anger uh, burn against me. You know the people, they're prone to evil. 
they said to me, make a, make a God to go before us. And then he says to them, I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and this calf came out. <laughs> oh, that, you know, as that if, is super lame. You know, the, the, the blame shift of the of the century, you know, yeah. they, they gave me their stuff and I threw it in the fire and look, this calf just came out yeah. formed and they, I, I didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. And so, you know, this is not going to fly with Moses at all. And the consequences are, are, are really stark and great. They're horrible. Um, Moses tells people who's ever on the Lord's side, come with me. Only the tribe of Levi comes with him. They're the priestly tribe. And he tells them to go through the camp and those who c- continue to persist in this rebellion against God, that you're to, you're to slay them with the sword. And it says 3,000 men of, uh, of the people fell that day. Mm. In other words, when we sin, we give the enemies of God a reason to blaspheme and to mock, and Moses was not going to allow that to happen. There was going to be a there was going to be a reckoning, and that's what it was. And uh, God's holy name was not going to be violated. And those who persisted in it, maybe those who didn't repent, you could say, were going to pay the consequence. Mm. David, so how does God show that we reap the consequences only for our own sin? Yeah, that would probably take more than a minute. But uh, I he, figured. Yeah, but See, that's, I, what I, that's what I'm talking about. We don't have beyond long enough. Yeah, well, maybe we should just deal with that the next time because I think that's an important question. I think it is today, too. Today's there, there's the idea of you know sins you didn't commit that America committed, people committed 100 years ago. We should pay for today, and that's not God's standard. God's standard is that we pay for the sins that we commit ourselves. Someone else doesn't pay for them. And by the way, we may suffer the consequences of other people's sins, but we are we are accountable to God for the sins that just we commit. And he makes that point clear right at the end of this chapter. Mm. Maybe just in the time remaining, we can reinforce that God is holy and we are not. Very much. Mm-hmm. And if someone listening might, they might think, well, this is a, a harsh God. And they would be right. This is a just God. This is a wrathful God. He's angry over sin. But let's not forget the other side of the coin of God, that God is a loving God. He's a merciful God. He didn't destroy them immediately. He changed his mind. He gives He gives us an opportunity to repent and turn to him. So yes, God is a wrathful God, absolutely. But he's also a loving and merciful and gracious God who doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we can do that through coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And he'll forgive us of our sin and make us right with him. Mm, such a great point. David, so we'll pick up where we left off because we do have to cover that the last question and do it with more time. I don't want to race through that. So maybe we can put in the notes that when we resume in a couple of weeks, we will start there. Will do. All right. David, have a great day, and thank you once again for being with me. Thank you, Bill. You bet. David Wheaton has been my guest, host of The Christian Worldview. You can always go to thechristianworldview.org. All right. I'm very, very much looking forward to this next guest. He is my dentist. I love my dentist, and I bet you got questions for him. You know, hygiene, teeth hygiene is pretty important, and we're going to, I got all kinds of questions for him. Can't wait. Be right back with Dr. Kyle Gerhardt in just a minute. Oh. 
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Prime time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show. If you are in your car and the windows are down and you turn up the radio real loud, I think you can use the carpool lane. I got to get that verified, but I think you can <laughs> if you're listening to the show. I am so glad to have my dentist with me today. Dr. Kyle Gerhardt is with me, and we're going to talk teeth today, and I got a lot of questions. And I'm going to ask him questions, and then before he answers, I'm going to put a cotton roll and two of my fingers in his mouth and see how he likes it. <laughs> Only fair. <laughs> Kyle, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I got a bunch of questions, so do you mind if I just start firing away? Sure. All please. right. Let's talk about brushing and brushing correctly. And is it important to have one of those sonic or elect- electronic or rotating brush toothbrushes? Yeah, they do help. Um, the technique is important no matter what you have, and you always want to use light pressure. That really can't be emphasized enough. A lot of people want to overbrush or brush real hard. Guilty. Um, yes, yes. And that can lead to recession and other issues, um, wearing away the enamel. So you want to brush gently with uh, in small circles. And a lot of the a lot of the uh, ultrasonic brushes really do improve the amount of plaque reduction. So those are those are um, definitely beneficial. The, some of the rotating ones that yep. don't vibrate, those can actually be a little more aggressive on your gums. And if you press hard with those, they can actually accelerate your um, tooth wear. So well, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But I mean, up until I don't know how many long ago the first electro- electronic toothbrush came out. How long has that been? I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, probably yeah. 20 years. Yeah, at least probably 20 yeah. years. Yeah. So let me ask you about gingivitis. What is it and how serious is it? Good question. Gingivitis is not serious by itself. It's just almost a warning sign. So it's uh, inflammation of the gums, but there's no loss of bone. And that's actually the, the worry of gingivitis progressing to gum disease. Um, once the bone is lost uh, with, with um, um, worse, you know, deeper pockets yep. and uh, the bone never will grow back. So it's really one of those things you want to focus on prevention and so uh, going in frequently, depending on how much tartar you build, uh, every you know three, four to six months, just depending on uh, your specific uh, biology, uh, is is really important to stay ahead of that. Mm-hmm. And when we think about uh, brushing too hard or overbrushing, and you can get gum recession, re- receding gums are that the old long in the tooth expression. Yes. Um, what is exactly happening? Are we are we just abusing our gums and they're yeah, the recession can happen from, from brushing too hard. Um, that's the most common way that it happens. Yeah. Um, it can also happen from grinding your teeth too much. So uh, extra force on the teeth can cause the gums to recede. Um, and basically when the gums recede, the bone recedes with it so that the bone doesn't become exposed. So the bone that, that connects the, um, that holds onto the tooth um, will, will shrink away along with the gums. And then eventually you can have uh, mobility in the teeth and, and you know, lack of support and foundation. Um, the the other potential is is the weakened root surface. So the w- root surfaces don't have enamel covering them, so there's no protection um, or not as much protection, and though therefore you can get decay easier and, and erosion easier. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about um, when you have food stuck in your teeth and you feel panicked, and you're maybe you're away from home, and you'll literally reach for anything, won't you? Like a paper, <laughs> yeah. a paper clip or <laughs> A business card. You'll try anything, right? Because it's got to come out. Now, uh, how how dangerous is that? How dumb of an idea is that? And is it smart to have something on you? 
it is a good idea to carry something okay. with you, either either a, a small thing of floss or they do make these um, proxy brushes, they're called. They're just tiny little, um, they're like toothpicks with nylon bristles at the end. They're usually plastic. Um, and those are good at removing things. They're pretty safe. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had patients, just a couple get them stuck, but uh, for the most part, they're pretty safe. Uh, but yeah, stay away from anything metal. Um, or sharp, you know. <laughs> Guilty again. <laughs> yeah. What about those little those little kits you can buy at the store? I have little, yeah. little, little scrapers and little mirrors. And Should you avoid those too? Because I've bought several of those. I think there are parts in them that can be helpful, <laughs> but I also think people, uh, it might also, uh, you know, offer the tendency for people to do some home dentistry, which I've seen uh, go the wrong way too. I bet. So. I bet. I mean, what kind of things do people do to abuse their teeth? I mean, is nail biting? That's a bad thing, isn't it? Nail biting's t- uh, bad on the teeth for sure. It is, biting, isn't it? biting pens. Um, what about ripping open packages and stuff? Oh and gosh, yeah, that's the worst, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, a lot of broken teeth come from really? simple things like that. And I actually think it's a lot of it's, um, you know, the tooth is already weakened from grinding and clenching that people often do from stress or just lack of airway when they're sleeping. Hmm. Um, grinding's really common. That's probably the most damage we do to our own teeth. It's um, but but you're right. Uh, using them as tools, uh, not not recommended either. <laughs> yeah. So people that grind their teeth at night, that creates a lot of problems, doesn't it? A lot of problems, yeah. yeah. What's the remedy for that? Good question. I think the best thing is a combination of physical therapy and um, a night guard typically. Okay. So not everyone can tolerate a night guard, but most people do really well with them. Mm-hmm. Um, almost everyone in our office has one because we know we see it every day and, and its effects. So we all want to protect our teeth. Um, but yeah, night guards are uh, um, the beneficial in a lot of ways. And I think the f- physical therapy also just helps to um, give you some stretches and exercises um, to, to kind of uh, elongate the muscles and, and prevent future clenching. But it is a tricky thing to control because when you're asleep, it's such a subconscious thing. Even when you're awake, it's it's subconscious. So people end up clenching a lot Um without even really realizing it. So it's one of those things that we'll ask a lot of patients, are you clenching your teeth? And we hear no, but you see evidence that it's happening. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's very common. And that's yeah. probably the most um, damage that we do to our teeth. Is... Do you think people lie to you a lot when you say, well, how often do you floss? <laughs> I'm sure they do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And then when you can usually, it's usually pretty easy to tell, too. <laughs> <laughs> you can't fool. You can't, yeah. Okay, let's talk about uh, saliva production. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, does that naturally diminish with age? It does, actually. Yeah. Really? Yeah. The salivary okay. glands just are less and less productive as you get older, typically affecting you more, I'd say, after the age of 50 or, or maybe 60. Um, but it does decrease over time. And then, um, and, and saliva is really important in, in maintaining the pH balance in your mouth. So mm-hmm. when you start having dryness, it can increase your risk of decay um, and, and even make the gums less resilient, too. And are there some medications that produce additional dry mouth kind of thing? And that Absolutely. creates more trouble for your teeth, doesn't it? Absolutely. In fact, most medications or, or a majority, I'd say, would cause dry mouth and, and at varying degrees and depending on the person, too. But that's actually very common, and we'll see that a lot with... Uh, and sometimes the more medications you take, it, it, it can multiply or... or uh, Mm-hmm. It can be um, cumulative. So let's say you're sleeping with your mouth hanging open, <laughs> you know, and you're going to run the risk of having a dry mouth, and you could be doing damage to your teeth. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do. There's, um, you know, staying hydrated helps. Um, some t- people carry around a bottle of water, yeah. um, but you have to be careful what kind of water you're drinking as well. That's another interesting question that has already come in from a listener, and let me see if I can find it. The question is, 
Can you ask Kyle if carbonated water, no sugar, no anything, but lemon or some flavor, is that bad on your teeth? Actually, surprisingly, yes. And uh, this comes up a lot um, da- on a daily basis, actually, um, in explaining, you know, people being confused on why do I have a cavity and, you know, they might eat well or, or not, you know, snack or drink pop. Um, but the the carbonation itself isn't isn't always harmful, but the uh, citric acid is often added as a flavoring agent to almost everything that's not just plain water. And the citric acid, it's not in a great concentration, but people typically sip on those for long periods of time, and you never give your mouth a chance to neutralize the acids. So that causes a lot of cavities, and it really flies under the radar for most people because... Wow. You know, there's calorie-free, there's no sugar in it, so you just assume it's okay. But surprisingly, that's, um, that, that can harm your teeth for sure. That is, uh, I think we just disturbed a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the citric acid, have, did I make this up where if you have like a glass of orange juice or something, you should wait 30 minutes before you brush your teeth because you want to let something mellow out in your mouth? But, yeah. Did I make that up? Because I make a lot of stuff up. I've read that. I've read that as well, but honestly, okay. I, I don't see it. Very often. Um, I think that if you were to do it on a daily basis, you know, have orange juice and then brush your teeth shortly afterwards, it could have a negative effect. Um, the acidity weakens the teeth. It kind of etches them. And then if you're a really hard brusher, like we were talking about before, you could potentially brush away some of the uh, enamel or more likely the dentin wow. underneath the enamel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that is. Uh, but I think if you were to do it once or twice or here and there, I don't think it would cause a lot of issues. Yeah. Kyle Gerhardt is my uh, guest. He's also my dentist. And Kyle... Uh, should you also brush your gums? Uh, yeah, you want to brush your gums gently along with the teeth. And, and when you're doing small circular motion motions, um, you should be able to get the gum tissue and the to- tooth. You actually want to angle the bristles towards the gum. So up on the top about 45 degrees and down 45 degrees on the bottom mm-hmm. so that it sweeps underneath the gums a little bit. Mm-hmm. But again, making sure that you're being gentle so that you don't rub away the gums. You've used the word gentle several times. <laughs> Does that mean we use soft bristles? Yes, absolutely. Very I mean, soft, extra medium? soft if you can find them. Really? No medium, yeah. I would not say even s- mediums? Not even mediums. Yeah. Wow. So we've probably collectively made a lot of dental mistakes throughout the years. I think people think, well, the harder I brush, the cleaner they'll be. And I've done it myself, actually. I've got um, a new uh, ultrasonic toothbrush that has kind of trained me how to rebrush. It beeps at you if you press too hard. And uh, it's been a great feedback. But even as a dentist, I've been kind of relearning how to brush uh, or fine-tuning it. You know, I think we can all be better at everything. So. Mm-hmm. Let's talk x-rays. Uh, yeah. Some want them, some don't. Uh, I know it's probably critical to good tooth care and a health assessment for you, isn't it? It's critical. You really can't, you can only see so much. Right. And there's so many things that are, um, you, you know, especially between the teeth, cavities between the teeth, you can't see. You can't see bone loss without x-rays. We oftentimes see, even in screening uh, x-rays, you know, cysts and tumors and things like that. And not very frequently, but um, they're very important for diagnosing. And one thing people don't realize is the the amount of radiation in x-rays has is, is diminished significantly okay. um, with digital x-rays. And even more and more, they're making the sensors more sensitive so that you don't have to use the same uh, radiation. Oh, good, because they usually put a lead vest on you and then go running out of the room <laughs> screaming. <laughs> and, and should people be nervous? It sounds like they shouldn't That's be nervous. That's actually a really interesting point. So the lead vest is not even a requirement anymore. Really? We... we we actually do it because people expect it and they feel more safe. But it's really interesting. The, the, the levels of radiation are so low that it's not required. And um, of course, with pregnant women, we always put it on just sure. as a precaution. But um, yeah, typically it's one of those, um, you know, optics thing. Public, you know, people feel comfortable with it. So yeah, 
Um, let's talk teeth whiteners. Oh, yeah. Uh, what about those? Uh, do, can those be uh, hard on your gums? They can be for some people, but typically they don't cause um, ma- any major issues. They're, they're more, they cause a lot of sensitivity of, on the teeth. Yes, they do. And um, we recommend people using a, a sensitivity toothpaste before and after in the trays. That can help a lot with the sensitivity. Um, there's no long-term detriment to it. Oh, good. Um, one thing to be aware of is a lot of the toothpastes or even rinses that, that are uh, marketed as, as whitening, they don't, they don't do much whitening. They put extra silica or, or grit in the toothpaste just to help remove surface stains, um, which can make your teeth look, look brighter. But if you go into the dentist frequently, you, shouldn't, you, know, you really shouldn't need that, and it actually can be more aggressive and, and again, cause... Um, enamel wear and even even gum wear. Mm-hmm. Kyle, the last couple times I've been in your um, office, do I, am I getting an iodine rinse? Am yes, I getting something yes. that's is that killing uh, COVID virus or what is that? That what is, is that doing? There's a number of different oral rinses out there, but that that has been um, it, peop, some some uh, clinicians were using that prior to the pandemic, but definitely since the pandemic, that was one of the protocols that we um, started using along with. Um, air purifiers and extra oral suctions and all sorts of things. Uh, but yes, the so what that does is it helps to lower the bacteria levels in the mouth, and therefore if any aerosols are created, there's just less bacteria in the aerosols. Because mm-hmm. so. when you when you do a cleaning, you are stirring up a lot of bacteria, aren't you? Or yes, whatever yes. dental procedure you're doing is stirring up bacteria. Yes, there's a lot of bacteria to just in general. And so... Um, and sometimes we use an ultrasonic to clean or our high speeds if we're doing, uh, you know, dental procedures like fillings and crowns. And that can put a lot of uh, aerosols in the air, again, with um, with lower bacteria levels after the rinse. Yeah. I have to say dentistry has changed a lot. I want to talk about it after the break, but I don't I don't think there's any pain anymore involved. Well, I I think the focus has changed over several decades where I think it used to be more of a this is not going to be fun. Let's get it over with. You know, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and now it's more of a how can we make this as good as possible? Yeah. And, and so since that focus has changed, I think it keeps getting better. Um, you know, there's some un- unavoidable things like injections for, you know, certain procedures um, and those aren't pleasant. But even those, there's techniques that you can use to try to make that better. And I think the focus has just been redirected to how can we make this the best experience possible. Mm-hmm. If you have a question for Dr. Kyle Gerhardt, let me know what it is. You can send a text over to 877 877- 933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back. So glad to have Kyle Gerhardt, my dentist, uh, with me today. I just enjoy his company so much and his excellent work uh, as he's in my mouth doing stuff for my for my teeth. It's Thank always, you. That's always good. Lots of questions coming in. Hey, one thing, Kyle, dentists can save money on magazines because you don't need magazines anymore. <laughs> that's in, right. In, in the lobby because people just look at their phones. Exactly. It's been great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A couple of questions coming in. I've been adding lemon juice to my water. Is this harmful to your teeth? It definitely is, actually. Um, 
that's similar to the carbonated waters, the the um, calorie-free waters. If there's even a little bit of acid in it, so we were talking about citric acid earlier, this would be the same uh, thing with lemon juice or um, apple cider vinegar or those mm-hmm. kind of things. It adds the acidity. So if you're going to drink those things, drink them quickly. Um, the long, the more you sip on them, the longer the exposure time, the more uh, damage it'll do to your teeth. Interesting. Uh, another question. I know there's been more research and more controversy about fluoride. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think fluoride has made a huge difference in the the level of decay that you see in the general population, and you can almost tell when patients have had it as a child and, and haven't had it as a child. Um, the the ingestion in municipal waters is so low that it has been shown to cause no issues, um, and that's the latest um, in terms of the. Um, in terms of you know ingestion, um, the 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 fluoride in drinking water really only helps when the teeth are forming. It actually doesn't help uh, once the teeth have formed. Mm. That's really more of a topical uh, benefit. So, getting fluoride placed when you're at the dentist to to uh, kind of stick on the surface for a while and soak into that outer surface helps adults. But really, once your teeth have formed, the fluoride that you get in your water doesn't really help as much. Um, but there hasn't been any any research that I've read that 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 is uh, you know legitimate that that shows any concern with that. Mm-hmm. Another question, Kyle. Uh, my dentist has never mentioned gum issues before, but recommended an alloderm procedure to protect two teeth. Last visit, I think he was recently trained for this. Should I get a second opinion? I don't even know if I'm, if I'm reading this question, question right. Yeah, I, I believe he's referring to, uh, he or she is refer, referring to a gum graft. So okay. if you have recession and it's it's severe enough, um, they'll, they'll, they can do a graft basically where they take tissue from an ev- another area and cover that exposed root surface. Um, in terms of getting a second opinion, I always think it's good for people to listen to their instincts because it seems like most of the patients that have come into my office for a second opinion are usually have a pretty good sense of you know, if something's not quite right. And then that being said, this dentist might have just um, not mentioned recession until it got bad enough to need treatment. Uh, some people, um, you know, won't really bring things up until they're ready for treatment. Uh, but yeah, it's a good question. I think I think a second opinion never hurts. Yeah. Here's another question, Kyle. Um, Ask the good doctor about stress in mouth health. Does cortisol dry out the mouth? That's a good question. Um I suppose you're just... I would think, yes, because of just knowing what I know about the um, sympathetic nervous system, sure. not to get too nerdy, but yeah, basically cortisol would um, lower your, your saliva, but just, just, for a, just for a short period of time. I think the bigger impact on stress on your teeth, uh, more than saliva, the lack of saliva, is the grinding that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Another question common. about grinding. Uh, I should be wearing my mouth guard at night due to clenching. I do not tolerate it well. Are there any tips? And also as a former dental assistant, I learned that plaque accumulation due to poor brushing habits, which turns to calculus, also causes gums to recede. That's exactly right. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. exactly I'm right. Very, very smart listeners. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. So what about the, the, the mouth guard at night due to clenching? That's tricky. Some people have a really hard time tolerating it. Yeah. Um, I think an intermediate step, it's not nearly as good, but Invisalign trays, uh, or, or I, I use that word that's a brand name, but you know, the thinner, yes. more hard trays, um, not not like bleaching trays, but that can be you know minimal enough to where people can tolerate that. Um, but it's a tough one. Not everyone can, can do that. Some people are wearing CPAPs that prevent them from Oof. using them as well. Um, I don't think there's an easy tip to 
tolerating it other than actually, I would say, really sticking with it. I think people that are determined to get it to work often do, but it is it is tricky sometimes. Mm-hmm. And what about other foods that are potentially very staining for teeth? I mean, if you are a coffee drinker, I mean, who's going to stop drinking coffee? <laughs> right. You know, do you, should you drink it through a straw or... That's been suggested you, to drink it through a straw. Yeah. I think, and different people will will build stain differently. But um, you know, red wine, red wine, chocolate, curry, um, uh, smoke, you know, cigarettes, yeah. uh, smoke, um, the, all those things will cause staining. I think um, if you use one of those ultrasonic toothbrushes, it removes more stain naturally. Mm-hmm. So that's an easy uh, way to to reduce that. And then maybe going in more frequently to get the you know, get your teeth polished or cleaned mm-hmm. um, can also help as well. I was going to ask that next about frequency and you know, people will delay putting off going to get their teeth cleaned and, you know, they always yes, come up with yes. a reason they, they're too busy. Um, so how often should that happen? That's for, a great for a question. Good, for a good clean. It really is independent on the person. Um, it depends on not only your home care, but just your natural biology. Some people build tartar really quickly. I, for example, need uh, my teeth cleaned every three months because I just build a lot of tartar. Um, Conversely, that actually helps reduce my cavity risk because my teeth are kind of being bathed in saliva more than they're being demineralized. Therefore, um, I'm more prone to getting gum disease than I am cavities. Mm -hmm. And and so we're all different. So some people don't build tartar very quickly and they can go every six months. Um, But most people, I'm sorry, most people are in that category, but a lot of people are also building tartar quick enough to where three or four months helps. And a lot of it depends on uh, the the inflammation that you that you find when you go in, and if the the hygienist or the dentist thinks that you should be coming in more frequently, they're probably onto something based on the the inflammation and the buildup that they're seeing. Mm-hmm. When you crack a tooth and you need a crown, what exactly has happened, and what are you getting? What is going in there? Is it like a fashioned tooth that looks exactly like the tooth that was once there, and it's kind of a fake tooth? Yeah, it is a fake tooth. It's it's um it's basically the outer shell. So it's it's covering and capping the tooth, splinting the tooth together so that the crack doesn't get deeper. You don't want the crack to get into the nerve or spread down the root of the tooth. That's right. uh it could it could cause a tooth to die or, or you could lose the tooth. So um the cap on the tooth or the crown is basically securing the tooth together. It's typically made of of uh zirconia, uh which is which is a technically a metal on the elemental charts, but it's white. Um, and you can match the shade so it mat- so it blends in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that gets cemented on the tooth um, to hold it together. But but cracks happen a lot, again, from, from normal clenching and grinding, or if you have large fillings, the tooth gets weakened. Yeah, I mean, what are some things you should really avoid? Because I, I remember I took a like a frozen protein bar, and I put it in my mouth, and I l- levered it up and down <laughs> to try to break some off. And guess what broke off, Kyle? me. <laughs> I, I did. I Mark took care of that one. <laughs> but that was a crown? Yes, yeah. yes. So and, that would be a great example, something really hard like that. Yeah, but what about nuts and things like that? Should you be fearing eating a handful of nuts as you get a little bit older? Your teeth, they just do they get compromised because they're older teeth? That's a great question. I, I think that's... Um, yeah, I get that question a lot, actually, with, with almonds and things like that. Yeah. They can be hard enough to break a tooth, but I wouldn't say to avoid them because I almost think that, you know, they're, they're valuable in their nutrition and the, they're not going to alone break down the teeth. In other words, if, if your tooth doesn't already have cracks in it or it isn't already weakened, you know, if it was a perfectly healthy tooth, an almond would never break it or, mm-hmm. a, you know, a walnut would never break it. 
Um, I think the things to avoid, chewing on ice is really as bad as they say. Uh, yeah. um, because, and, and for a few reasons, but the, the, uh, the hardness, but also the, the coldness of it um, can, can also cause a lot of sensitivity with the uh, silver fillings and, yeah. and whatnot. But, well, you recently put a crown in my mouth, and that was a fun experience. <laughs> uh, and I really mean that, because I love coming to your office, because well, we have you. a blast. Thank you. Uh, but I was too chicken to ask, before you put the temporary one in, can I see what's inside right now? What oh, was yeah. there? Nothing? You mean you mean on the... After you drilled it, yeah. what was there? So typically, tooth structure, uh, hopefully plenty of tooth structure. Oh, good. If not, you bond uh, some filling material on it so that there's enough foundation for the, for the crown. Okay. But basically with the crown, when you feel with your tongue, your tongue amplifies everything, so it feels no like everything's missing and there's barely anything left but really all we're doing all we're doing is reducing the outer about two millimeters so not very much off the sides and off the top so that there's enough thickness for the crown to, to remain strong mm-hmm. so there's actually a lot of tooth structure left up above the gums if there's not and there and it's uh, very short that crown won't be as retentive so you really want to remove as little as possible but enough to make the crown strong mm-hmm Kyle, thank you so much for coming in. This has been so fun. It was a pleasure. And finally, you're sweaty in my office (laughs) versus me sweaty in your office. You know, I love that. Great. Everything comes around, doesn't it, Rosie, in life? All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Dr. Kyle Gerhardt has been my guest, and we'll take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue with Dr. Jarrett Stevens. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.